episode of Made in Europe. Uh, this is a monthly show we'll be doing with executives from the EMS industry throughout Europe and throughout these shows. I will be joined by my co-host and senior partner from Scoop, Marco Nunziata. Marco, thanks for thanks for um, coming back from the beach to be with us here <laughs> I'm today. I'm still at the really beach, as you can see, but I'm fully, uh, you have my full attention. Thanks for having me here, Phil. That's a pleasure. Uh, our, two, um, our two executives today are Bruno Raquel from All Circuits. He's the president and CEO of the company and was actually pivotal in the initial management buyout of the business over a decade ago now, Bruno, some considerable time and... Right, 209. Been on quite a, been on quite a journey since then. Uh, and we're also joined by Rainer Coppitz, uh, Rainer is the co-founder and CEO of the Catech Group, and the Catech Group have been making waves in the industry over the last couple of years, and um, particularly making making news headlines in the last week or so or month or so with their IPO. Um, so, what I wanted to start by doing, and you know, I want to keep this very conversational, so feel free to interrupt at any time. But what I want to start by exploring is the last 12 months and some of the positives that have come out of that period and, and where you see yourselves as, as, as we go forward. And we've talked separately about this idea of a manufacturing renaissance uh, in, in Europe. And I want to try and really set the foundation for what the market looks like at the moment. Bruno, perhaps we can, perhaps we can start with you. I know last year was hugely challenging, but Having read some of your press material, you ended with some some very positive news in terms of orders. Twenty twenty has been terrible in the sense that um, we have lost. We, we are mostly automotive in our group. Okay, so seventy five percent, and um, the automotive industry has been touched quite a, a bit, and we have lost twenty twenty five percent of our turnover. So in terms of uh, turnover, the year was. Not that good, yeah. I will say. Um, however, the order intake has been very great. We are seeing really, a, you call that a renaissance, uh, on, on, I will follow you, but uh, we are seeing a lot of appetence for new uh, product. Uh, but we are also seeing a, a, a trend of bringing back products which are made in China to Europe. So we can do, discuss those two uh, elements, but there is a reason, there's several reasons behind it. I will say there is one big reason is that the manufacturing process did evolve quite a lot. Um, our gears are faster and, and going faster and faster. Um, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, a ship shooter was placing 10,000 pieces per hour. Now we are touching the uh, 100,000 pieces. Um, mm. We have uh, all the optical inspection, which were manual uh, three years ago. Now we are using uh, 3D automatic ins optical inspection. Um, so basically, the process itself is asking less and less people. Uh, so the labor cost of our product is, uh, is uh, reducing quite a, a lot. Yeah. Um, it's something like less than 5% now for a product which is costing 10 euro. Um, so the advantage that the low, um, the low cost country or so-called low cost country was having by their um, uh, cheap uh, direct labor is, is mm -hmm. uh, not disappearing, but is less important than it was. And uh, that's an explanation why we were able to come back. We are coming back because we are more and more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we mix that in with some of the issues around supply chain security and other issues, there are there are lots of reasons to reconsider Europe. And if if Europe is competitive and people can see the value there, um, it's starting to make sense. What I think is really interesting in the market you're in, in terms of automotive, is you're seeing that reshoring trend, but you're also seeing a trend where I think when when some of the car makers are looking at EV in particular, electric vehicles, they're kind of rethinking their supply chain a little bit and looking more directly to EMS companies to get assistance. Is that something you're seeing, Bruno? 
Absolutely, yes. So, so most our, not all, but a lot of new order are coming from the EV. Uh, yeah. And you know that are in our industry, it's taking two, three years between the time we take the order and the time we really start the production. Uh, but we are really seeing a, a trend also to bring uh, all those elements back, uh, will it be in France or Germany, but back to, to the Eastern Europe. Um, not only for the, supply, the assurance of supply, but also um, the people are, take, are taking into account more and more um, the, the, the influence of, of the product on, on the transportation uh, on the planet. So there is a, yeah. this green uh, appetence, um, which are becoming more and more important on giving us also point. Uh, yeah. On the last point I want to mention is that um, the design also um, is moving. Um, our designers are taking into account the manufacturability of the product more and more. Mm -hmm. So they are really making uh, attention on taking care that or making sure that we'll be able to manufacture in Europe this product. Right. Uh, this product which is uh, where you need to make um, 15 minutes in, in China or locust country on uh, it's taking only us one minute for us not because we're automatizing uh, we're automatizing the, the process but it's also because the process by itself has been reconsidered the product uh, and the design has been reconsidered yeah. and has been made to to be manufactured in Europe yeah so, so an element of design for automation or or designed for a specific supply chain, which I think is, yeah, hugely valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Reina, you started your really exciting journey with, with the CATEP group a relatively short time ago, and it felt like COVID had the potential to derail that, that vision, that process, but it didn't. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a bit about that journey through through COVID, the acquisitions you made last year, the recent IPO, and where that positions you to play a part in this renaissance. Yeah, yeah, Phil. Um, I mean, the the start of last year uh, was uh, was uh, I mean very bumpy, uh, honestly, honestly speaking, because um, I would say the very day when it became obvious that also COVID will, will hit uh, Europe, um, which was mid, mid of March, um, when, I mean, everything uh, exploded. I mean, the very day we did the closing with uh, the electronics part of Hoof Group, which was a big, big outsourcing. And uh, I mean, we had big discussions uh, in-house whether this is the right time uh, to, to sign okay. the contract. But I said, I mean, uh, you know, I gave my word to the management and also, by the way, to the employees. We already had um, employee uh, meetings, um, uh, etc. Um, so we decided um, uh, to, to sign the contract uh, with no regards that COVID was just to start. And, um, you know, it has been very, very bumpy, especially like Bruno um, mentioned um, in, the, in, in the part of our group where we are doing um, automotive, which is uh, something which was last year, something like, uh, you know, a little bit less than one third, but it's one third. And uh, we had, uh, you know, very, very, to, to, you know, very high degree short term work, um, etc. I mean, in order to, uh, in order to, um, uh, you know, have some countermeasures against, I mean, the, the, the volume decrease we had in, uh, from, from March to April, we had a volume drop of 25%. Uh, and then we, you know, very, very, you know, strictly, um, you know, apply cost discipline and whatever you can do. We had the luck that we also had some, I mean, other places um, in, the, in, in the group where we've seen some kind of uh, very positive special effects uh, due to, uh, you know, healthcare, blood analyzers, uh, respirators, um, etc. This was very positive, but I mean, healthcare was only something like 7% of the business. So it was a positive effect, but it was uh, not compensating what happened in, uh, in, in automotive. But then also, like uh, Bruno uh, told, um, you know, the EV part, um, you know, in automotive itself uh, developed very, very positive. 
Um, I mean, so we are uh, we are doing those uh, kind of uh, you know innovative charging solutions directly to Volkswagen and uh, and, and Porsche. And I mean, yes, they they haven't sold um, as many Porsche Taycan, for instance, um, as they wanted. But I mean, still, it was a it was a I mean tremendous uh, kind of positive uh, development. So um, this itself, um, you know, showed some uh, some some growth as well. So overall, I mean, it was really um, you know the second quarter was really really lousy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but but then you know all of a sudden um, you know it recovered and uh, you know already third quarter was a very good one and fourth quarter was was even better and I mean then you know we went directly in the situation um, you know which we will be talking about a little bit later I guess we then directly came into the the, the situation that I mean in all the industries and with almost all the customers we have we have a totally full. Uh, order books uh, like Bruno also said but I mean right now um, you know like uh, many in the industry uh, we are not really in the position to deliver everything uh, the customers want yeah. because all the industries and all the geographies they uh, you know the demand exploded at the same time yeah. and uh, I mean we all know the the problems uh, we are um, uh, we are facing right now so in terms of MA, which you um, also mentioned uh, which you also mentioned phil uh, we also in the middle of the crisis uh, took advantage um, of uh, the opportunity to uh, take over uh, leases in leipzig uh, together with their um, uh, 100 percent um, uh, uh, company uh, the tele alarm uh, you know company being uh, mm -hmm. active telecare so that's based on the trend of the aging society that's a very nice um, you know kind of thing and i think this was this was um, an m&a deal which would not have been possible uh, without the pandemic honestly speaking right. because there was so much pressure um, on this uh, company i mean that um, you know, you, and, and we stand, we stood ready in order to save uh, the company, and it's a beautiful company. Um, they're also doing something in e-mobility together with a large customer, etc. But it was just that the crisis hit them at a very, very, um, yeah. a very, very special moment. So, so we we also took advantage of this, but. Um, and, and, and then originally, honestly speaking, we planned to do the IPO even in February. So this was the original plan uh, in, uh, in September. And the, the, the reason was that, I mean, we are, kind of, uh, we are kind of a family company, I would say, or a major shareholder is, uh, is Prime Pulse, which is uh, two entrepreneurial families um, with all their industrial um, kind of activities. And um, you know, we said if we want to continue this very, very fast growth, which is built on organic growth as well as a, um, a roll-up strategy in this very fragmented market, then we need to get to a broader access to to equity than just from this family office. Because I mean, this would be a big risk for the family office. Is then we are yeah. already the, the largest uh, company in this in this group. So we decided to go uh, to go public originally planned to do this in uh, February but then in November uh, we saw that uh, COVID-19 uh, you know will uh, cause uh, you know still some troubles um, in the market so it was uh, kind of uh, not really clear what would happen in the in the capital market so we said let's do it in 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 May uh, which we then finally which we then finally did and uh, so now I think we are prepared to um, continue the growth but it's not only the 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 M and A part is also to let me say fuel the growth um, in those um, nice um, let me say areas of the group where we see uh, overproportional market growth in the future and that especially uh, that that's healthcare that's um, that's EV that's EV of course and that's also renewables uh, specifically in the solar um, business they are the um, power electronics as part of it so this will be the let me say growth niches where we further will invest um, organically and then we will add um, uh, some strategical things um, in the in the uh, inorganic part yeah yeah and it's been you know it's been a fascinating period and actually watching what you guys have been doing i found really interesting because it's it's fresh eyes looking at a an industry that's that's very traditional and actually looking at it in a way 
um, that can disrupt and, and kind of change the evolution a bit. Marco, I wanted to bring you in here because you're you're a, a, a writer that, that writes a lot about technology. You've got a background in economics. You're a European that lives in or lived in Silicon Valley and now lives in Miami. When you look at what's going on with companies like All Circuits and um, Catech Group, and you look at what's going in Europe, do you see it as a big opportunity? I see it as a huge opportunity, Phil. And uh, I actually wanted to highlight a couple of the issues that have come up from both Bruno and Reiner and get their views again on what it will take to really seize this opportunity for the strengthening of manufacturing in Europe. One of the themes that Bruno brought up at the beginning is the fact that with new technologies, manufacturing is becoming less reliant on low cost production. And that's something we had started to see at General Electric when I was with G a few years ago. It's definitely becoming stronger and stronger. So low labor costs, uh, are becoming less and less important. That's great, except that other countries, including China, understand this. And so they're ramping up their skill, their capabilities. So their competitive ability on that front is also important. And that's where we have to bring in two other considerations that Bruno and Reiner have brought up. One is the sustainability concerns, so the idea of doing things more locally. The other mm -hmm. one is building in more resilience because the pandemic shock is only the latest shock to global supply chains. So there is also the importance of having a supply chain which is less exposed to disruptions to global trade. Mm. And then there is the issue of what is the role that is played by institutions, by infrastructure, by government policy in terms of support to industry, targeting support to R&D, but also support to skills and education. So to, to boil it down to my question for Bruno and Reiner, yeah. I would say, I, th I definitely see this uh, as a huge opportunity because uh, the change in technology with the digital industrial revolution combined with these shocks, uh, the latest the pandemic, uh, is really reshaping the map of global manufacturing. So this here, everybody has an opportunity to jump in and take leadership. But from your perspective, Bruno and Reiner, you are seeing it on the ground. What does Europe need to do besides the effort of companies like yours in order to really seize this opportunity and become yeah. again a leading manufacturing player? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Let's boil that down to two points. Let's tackle resilience and let's tackle the role of institutions and governments and, and what, what Europe needs to do as in terms of governance, but also in terms of investment and what companies need to be thinking about. Bruno, I know the French government have been active. They've been investing in, in all kinds of different things. Talk to me a little bit about that and what you think is really important for for the government to do to actually capitalize on this opportunity because they'll if they're seeing it as an opportunity to aid the recovery with manufacturing they need to get involved and help out that's a tough question phil um technically speaking i'm not expecting that the government is interfering in our activity okay we are on our own and it's very unusual for European guys to have government helping the industrial guy. I have to recognize that very recently, at least in French, they are putting a lot of money to speed up the recovery of France. Uh, so we're also gaining uh, subsidized um, to, to increase the size of the plant. We're gaining subsidized to, uh, to buy new gears and so on. Um, but I think it's not really the, the, the main part I'm expecting for the government. Um, if you are back to the low cost uh, element, if you are looking at our um, at the number of people we have in the plant, okay, we are used to have uh, eighty percent of uh, of uh, I will say uh, blue collar and twenty percent of white collar. This is moving uh, rapidly, and today we are fifty fifty. Uh, so we are we have a need of less uh, blue collar and we have a need, a huge need of engineer. And where I need, uh, where I'm 
need some help from the government is to really provide us engineer with the right level and the right number and so on. So this is very important point. Okay, and the second important point for, for us is the infrastructure. And you mentioned it, uh, the electricity is key for us. And uh, not only the electricity, the price, but also the stability of the electricity. If I compare the electricity in France compared to, to the Mexico, for example, that I know well, um, the line is, is uh, going down in Mexico every two hours. When in uh, so so, the result is that you need to put to the dustbin all your production or half an hour production. In France, and I don't know if it is the same in Germany, but I guess it's the same. Um, it's very stable, so we are never stopped by the electricity. So it looks idiot, uh, but this infrastructure. Uh, in terms of electricity, but you can also speak about roads and, and, and so on and so on, is very important for us because uh, things are moving faster and faster. And one uh, very important point for us is that we need to deliver. We need to commit and we need to make our commitment. And if we don't have the right infrastructure, if we don't have the right supply chain, uh, we are dead. Now, what's missing us now, and you mentioned it also, Marco, it's really the supply chain. Uh, all the components are made now in China or in Far East, um, and we are suffering of that. Uh, the recent element is demonstrating it. Um, so we need also to ask the government to bring or to facilitate um, the, the, the move to bring back some of this uh, uh, component production in Europe. If we could, yeah, and I think that's I think that's a really curious challenge. I was on a show recently talking about talking with component manufacturers and with the IPC, and the U.S. government had announced a few billion, maybe five or six billion, for investment in semiconductor. Two days later, I'd read a piece um, from Korea, South Korea are investing seventy billion over the next nine years in semiconductor. And they're already one of the largest semiconductor regions in the world. So I don't see that shift happening quickly. And you know, semiconductor isn't stood up particularly quickly. But I think you make a couple of interesting points there. And I wanted to go to Raina and ask, firstly, do you agree that it's really down to you and government can just maybe support in terms of infrastructure and making sure that the playing field is there for you, but they're not actually going to do that much for manufacturing. I, I do, I do fully, fully agree with all Bruno uh, said, especially also the the shift from uh, I mean the the blue color to more you know the white color, the, the the engineer part. And I mean the reason the reason behind is of course first that I mean we have all this uh, you know high degree or higher and higher degree of automation, so you need less. Uh, blue color workers but on the other side also i'm not what what our european um uh, customers are expecting from us is not only to be uh you know kind of brilliant uh, uh production companies but i mean one of the the the, the differentiators which we have is the the close cooperation with uh, our customers i mean also in the field of of engineering what we call co-development so we have many many customers you know which in the past, they were just saying, I mean, you are the manufacturer. I mean, here is the bill of material. Here is thing. Give me the best price. Go for it. Um, I mean, nowadays and uh, also in the automotive part, I don't know whether you see the same, Bruno. Um, you know, they are asking us to go into joint projects. I mean, I, I was visiting one of our big customers, um, you know, uh, the, the week before last week. And I mean, their main ask was, I mean, in former times, it was always, I mean, price, price, price. And now the first ask was they want to have uh, something like, how did they call it? Uh, an engineer, uh, residential engineer. So an engineer from our side, um, you know, coordinating all the joint engineer approaches which is sitting in their house even, um, which then can, uh, you know, steer a team that we can do together, exactly what Bruno said, that we can do together, design to manufacture, design to cost, etc. And I mean, that's a huge, huge opportunity for uh, Bruno and myself, because I mean, that's a, that's a degree of, uh, partnership of cooperation, which you normally can't do with uh, those companies in, in the Far East or, uh, or or in China, that's very, very difficult to have this uh, proximity, this 
level of close cooperation. And then also what we see very often is that then the, the engineers, they go to one of our prototyping centers and they wanna see the prototypes coming out, discussing with our project leaders and the engineers, how can we further uh, improve this? I mean, that's that's exactly the, the, the chance that we have. And I, I agree with uh, what you said, um, that's something which we need to do what we need um you know in return um you know from the from the government as support is more that let me say we have a kind of positive that we have the right infrastructure and i mean one of the most important things is that we have access to the right um level of skills i mean we have this yeah. uh, duale ausbildung apprenticeships etc which we are doing uh, a lot in Germany, also in our company, but that's not all. Not all. We need also this um, high-level engineers from the universities, and we need it in a way that um, you know they don't just go to an university here and then they go to the US or they go to uh, to wherever. We we need them in our companies and all the the let me say the the ecosystem in order to make this happen. That's very clearly something where we need the help from the government. I mean, that will be decisive in the in 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 in, in the war for talents what we have here. Um, yeah, it's it's I not think, all about blue collar workers. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think the talent question is huge, and I know Bruno probably wants to chime in on that. Go ahead, Bruno. Uh, Marco. No, I just wanted to jump into on two issues. The first one is indeed the talent, which, as you know, I've been very focused on. And Reiner was underlining it very, very well. I think what's interesting is in the discussion on jobs, we get too concerned about technology wiping out jobs. And there is some of it, or the increase of automation is playing a role. But we are missing the fact that there is gigantic scope for more specialized and highly trained labor, which is not necessarily university level. So we need more engineers, but we also need more specialized labor, which is very rewarding kind of job. And that's where I would be interested in hearing some thoughts from both Bruno and Reiner on what can be done by both private companies and the education system possibly government to push this. Because I feel it's something where everybody is failing, not just in Europe, but in the US as well. The second point I wanted to stress is uh, Reiner talked about the ecosystem. I think this is hugely important. You, know, you, you mentioned my experience in Silicon Valley, Phil, and what makes Silicon Valley strong is exactly the fact that you have a concentration of talent and you have a diffusion of information. Now, what Reiner was describing is something very similar, where companies discuss projects together. The engineers from their customers and the suppliers who work together, ideas are exchanged, new ideas come up, better ways of doing things come up. And in an era of technological change, this is hugely productive. So for me, this could actually be the secret weapon that boosts manufacturing. Yeah, and I think, Bruno, if you can, tackle that in in two questions one is are you seeing that incredibly close collaboration with your customers where they've got engineers in residence you're working closely with engineers i know you work with your customers on the on the design of product and then secondly how how are we going to tackle that 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 challenge in terms of skills and talent and make sure that that we do have the available talent. Rainer talks about apprenticeships and, and engineers in Germany. They have a reputation worldwide and that's why they're in demand in Silicon Valley, but it's important that we keep enough talent in, in Europe. So let's start with specifically the, the collaboration with customers. Okay, um, let's take an example. We, we have today new technology coming in, I mean, in the EV, which is the use of the uh, component in uh, carbure de silicium. I don't know how you say that in English on, uh, on the one with the nitro of gallium. Um, those uh -huh. two, two uh, those components, they are absolutely needed uh, for, for the, the next uh, EV. And we, the component exists, does exist, but we don't know really how to process them. When I say that, we don't know how to attach them to a a solid part on, uh, on that we can uh, refresh as we want, okay? And, and the challenge is, do we need to, to use water to refresh the engine or not? And of course, if we don't use the water, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save a lot of weight. Uh, uh, weight is important in the automotive and mm -hmm. a, a lot of costs. So there is a big challenge that we need to discuss um, 
with our customer and which is really um, part of our process of our intelligence. And this is new for us because we are really now having not only the challenge to make it uh, quick and faster, but to be smart enough to find new process um, to create the new EV. And, and the EV is giving us a lot of challenges like that that we need to discuss with the with our, our customer. And this is for the automotive, uh, but we have also the same challenge for for the uh, the green electricity for for um, the, the all all the automated way to transport the electricity or to uh, store the electricity. Okay, so. Yeah. I'm absolutely uh, in, in sync with Rainer. Uh, the fact that we are closer to the, our uh, customer is really a key element for us, key element for uh, um, the creation on the design, but also key element to be able to change a component uh, by another component in a very quick manner. Because when mm -hmm. you have your production, which is a 6,000 kilometer away, it's very difficult to under the supply chain to make quick investment. On, on now the price is in the component, not in the, in, in, in the labor. So it's really key that we are using the right component at the right place as soon as possible. Okay. Mm. So yes, definitely we have an advantage here. Uh, yeah. On, on I think the, our customer cannot afford to have production uh, uh, 6,000 kilometers away. Yeah, and in a different time zone with all those communication challenges. And I think what's what I find really fascinating is fascinating is that level of collaboration goes way beyond design for manufacture. What you're talking about there with the and silicon carbide is the term you were looking for in English. What you're talking about with those kind of challenges is the actual ideation and the actual innovation of the product so for you to be involved at that stage and then be able to take it all the way through to production really designed you into the product as a as a very very strategic partner and i think that's that's a, a really exciting development as we as we look at an ems industry or a manufacturing industry that is fit for this renaissance that we that we're talking about but at the same time, it's a challenge for us to go to your next question, um, because um, it's now 40 years that we are not doing a, uh, electronics in, in Europe, okay, or I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit, but not that much, okay, so now we have to reappropriate uh, ourselves, the, the, the production of electronics, and uh, we have to retrain, uh, re-sync, and re acclimate, um, not mm. only the engineer I was talking about, but Marco is totally right. We need also more specialized labor, okay? And um, on, so it's a problem for us. It's also an advantage because that means that uh, um, people which are taking a vacation away in China on 20% not, not coming back is a real problem now because mm. you need to have trained people um, which are coming on time because the, the cost is in the equipment, not in the people. But if the people is not here to run the equipment, you it are doesn't. losing a lot. So you need to have specialized people coming every day uh, on time. Um, on, on this is also a challenge. Uh, but I think it's a challenge where we have an advantage in Europe because uh, um, I consider the people we, we can, in our company, I mean, the, the Agile Wine, we can train, form, incentive people which are doing a good job. Yeah, and you're not going to have that same staff attrition that is, that is very much the norm in Asia. And you mentioned, you know, people going on vacation. I think the, the numbers are in double figures in terms of percentage every Chinese New Year of people that go, go back to their homes and decide this is actually the place I want to be in. Uh, and don't return. So that's a that's a really interesting challenge. Um, what I wanted to to do now is kind of just, if you like, visualize what what a, a manufacturing industry fit for this renaissance might look like, and how your businesses are developing um, to enable you to do that. Marco, perhaps I can bring you in in here first. When you look at kind of almost redesigning an industry, and I. I do think the EMS industry is fit for redesign. I, I think disruption is 
appropriate at the moment. But when you see that process, how do you how do you go about that? What do you see as perhaps the key talents and features and attributes the uh, the, the big players in the industry are need are going to going to need to have to capitalize on this opportunity? Really. Very hard question, Phil. And I think yeah, that's why I gave it to you, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> let me strongly agree with the premise, which is uh, we are in a phase of disruption which will completely change the face of manufacturing, including, I think, the way we tend to think of manufacturing. Because uh, thinking with my economist hat, people tend to talk about uh, manufacturing on one side and services uh, in, on the other. And people talk about how all societies, the US and to some extent Europe are becoming more and more service oriented. But I think that this technological disruption we're seeing now is actually blurring the line <clears throat> between manufacturing and services. Think of what Reiner earlier, part of what they produce is also a service to their customers. It's a training, it's a creation projection and, and programming and project building service. So we need to think about it completely differently. I think what is needed, first of all, from manufacturing companies in Europe is to think in a more open-minded way, to think about what kind of problems am I trying to solve for my customers? What do they need to do? And how can we get there together by using new technologies. I think it's very important also when you think of the digital industrial disruption to technologies, to think in a completely different way. This is where people like Bruno and Reiner can take a step back and say, okay, I've been doing things a certain way until now, but with new technologies and new objectives, I could perhaps completely restructure the way I am doing things, both within my manufacturing plants, but also on how I apportion and distribute both the development and the production between myself, my own suppliers, and my customers. So I think there is yeah. a need to be a lot more flexible in how you reorganize those things. Realize that the power of digital technologies, both on the manufacturing itself, things like 3D printing, but even more so on the power of leveraging data to approach new ways of manufacturing, to develop new materials, to use new materials, are opening up entirely new possibilities. So yeah. I would say the number one priority is to be more open-minded about how we are doing things. The number two priority is talent, and we've heard it before. This is yeah. going to be absolutely crucial. And the number three priority is the creation of the ecosystem. So deciding how do you find the right partners? They could even be some of your competitors to some extent. They will definitely yeah. include your suppliers and your distributors and your customers. But how do you build around you an ecosystem that allows you to be more and more competitive? Realizing, and I thought I'll conclude here in just a minute, Phil, but I, I thought I wanted to go back to something that Bruno highlighted earlier on the question of the role of government. And clearly the, the point was the role of government has to be supportive in the background, creating the right condition rather than giving direct help. I completely agree. We also have to realize that in the global competition, there are countries like China, which take a much more centralized approach to this. And therefore, I think that is the wrong approach, but it can be a powerful approach in the short term. So yeah. our ability in Europe to counter that with what we were saying earlier, the creation of a private sector ecosystem, I think would be crucial. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to tackle the question of disruption first, and I'm going to go to the person that looks the most disruptive, the guy who's got the glasses to match his, his shirt. Um, you were nodding your head frantically when Marco was talking about blurring the lines between service, manufacturing, product. That's something that I know you're really thoughtful about. Yeah. And honestly, I think the, the renaissance of uh, manufacturing industry in Europe starts with that we don't see ourselves as manufacturing industry. I mean, that's that's the starting point. I don't see ourselves as manufacturing industry. And as uh, you know, many of my colleagues know, I even hate the term EMS 
because I think it's not uh, it's by far not describing what we are doing it's kind of underselling uh, what we are doing so what the what the european industry is looking for is for partners um you know um for for the for the for the entire electronics part they are not looking for just something uh, like uh doing pcba uh, so that's that's not what they are looking for. They are more and more looking for partners in electronics, which is more a comprehensive end-to-end -end view. That doesn't mean that you know all of your customers want you to do everything in the electronics value chain. So from you know engineering or core engineering, prototyping, material handling, PCBA, maybe final assembly, testing, logistics, but more and more you know, want more and more pieces of this value chain from you. And if I look into our sales pipeline right now, we are looking salesforce.com and, you know, from each and every project, you can, you can exactly see what parts of the value chain are, are demanded. Then, I mean, the top 20 project, there's not one project, um, which is only uh, PCBA. There are only there are always some other um, interesting um, elements um, included, and uh, I mean uh, almost one third of this is um, you know covering the entire value chain, so entire kind of electronics, because um, we should position ourselves as the electronics trusted partners for the industry, with no regards whether it's uh, automotive or whether it's uh, whether it's uh, healthcare or or renewables or or whatever, and then of course if you know, you have a customer which wants to, to start the relationship with, I mean, simple PCBA manufacturing. I mean, that's great, but I mean, in our eyes, and that's our perspective, that's just the start of a partnership. Yeah. So then with cross and upselling, we will take the, the, the partnership to the, the next and the, and the, and the, and the, and the level and, and, and the next and the over next level yeah. in order to convince him to also do uh, the prototyping in our prototyping center to do some co-development, maybe think about whether we also can do the final assembly, maybe some parts of the, the logistics. I mean, so you can take it from there and the more comprehensive you are uh, becoming, um, the more you 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 move up from a you know pure manufacturing supplier to a, to a partner, and also the margins are are going up at the same moment yeah. uh, because yeah. I mean you are responsible for much much more than just uh, the PCBA and the manufacturing. That that's my well, that's our deep belief in the in, in the company and the entire philosophy and how we position ourselves towards the customer. So we are not. Uh, let me say uh, arrogant and saying, I mean, we want to do it all. We are, uh, we don't want to do PCBA manufacturing. That's of course not the case. I mean, with 650 customers, we are uh, only doing PCB manufacturing. But what we are seeing is with the right discussions and approaches, we can move them to much, much more uh, parts of the, of the of the value chain. And that's yeah. and that's working out. And what, what I'm seeing is that there's a strong that there's a strong demand and what Bruno uh, said before that especially EWE in the automotive is kind of uh, you know kind of a revolution also in terms of how the OEMs are thinking about with whom they are working and and what they are doing there I mean we are just now in contact with one of the very very large uh, German OEMs and I mean, in former times, they they asked their um, uh, uh, they, they asked their automotive supplier, the tier ones, to develop something electronically, and then asking someone to to manufacture it. Nowadays, because EV is so important, they start to develop um, um, you know with their own engineers, uh, you know some nice uh, uh, you know ideas and some nice modules and they are directly looking for an electronics partner and they are not even asking in this very very huge project the traditional uh, tier ones but they are directly going to those former ems companies uh, which uh, you know position themselves in order to do much much more than just pcba in order to work together with them and that's something yeah. so the ev revolution is also uh, is also a huge opportunity for uh, our companies like Bruno's and my company in order to position ourselves completely different uh, now in the automotive ecosystem. Yeah, and I think it's a catalyst for change, Rainer. When I look at what's going on in EV, the car manufacturers have gone from a position where maybe electronics was a single digit percentage of the vehicle 
And it made sense to outsource that through their traditional channels, maybe through the companies that they were buying tires from and braking systems from and all kinds of other stuff. What they've done, and I think it's very intelligent on their part, is taken a blank canvas. They've, they've taken a blank canvas to design a supply chain for EV, and they're creating something that's much leaner uh, and is going to work better for them. Bruno, when you look at that, not just in the EV market, it's, it's different for every company, isn't it? I know you have companies that are like small French innovators that are, that are selling direct to consumers, different supply chain design there, but fierce, fierce collaboration between you and that brand or OEM to, to literally be their electronics partner. So work with them on the design all the way through to how that product is packaged and delivered to their customer. Yeah, and, and there's a point that we didn't mention, which is also, uh, um, Marco mentioned it a little bit, it's, it's um, this is bringing a need of transparency uh, to everyone. And by transparency, I mean, you know, with Industry 4.0, we're talking about communication, system, and so on, but transparency, that means that you explain what you are going to do on, on to let the customer letting see what we're doing, okay? But yeah. we talk uh, also uh, um, uh, plant with a, a glass of wall. Um, yeah, I remember when we first met Bruno, you talked to me about the glass on, factory on, on, and I love the term. He looks idiot. Yeah, he looks idiot, but behind that, that means that with now the new means of communication, you let enter the customer, technically speaking, in your plant. And Rainer wonders what I mean. When you let the customer seeing what you are doing, you, you have a big problem because you cannot hide anything, <laughs> okay? You cannot hide that, uh, well, another customer asks you to place his order first uh, because he, uh, he asks you to do so and so on. So you need to be perfect in execution. Yeah. And this is a trend which is going to, I guess, increase more and more. Okay, so you will not only you will need to be uh, um, a good manufacturer, but you will need to be an intelligent manufacturer. That means you need to plan, you need to do what you are doing, you need to have the right quality because if you are transparent, you will, the customer will see that you are having a bad uh, yield, and so on and so on. So the fact that you need to be transparent and this need of, of transparency is bringing other concepts that will certainly change uh, the world of the AMS. Yeah. And we have to be ready on that. We are not ready yet, okay? But we have to prepare that. And in the same time, there is, a, there is a people or, or jobs which are going to disappear. Uh, for example, the people which are in charge of the customer to communicate uh, how much part and when you will go to those part are going to disappear because you will let the customer enter in your system to see when you will get the part on how and when. And so you have a, a move, a transition in our business um, that mm, we are not all seeing that, but which will be uh, um, very, very important in the future for us. You need to be the kind of manufacturer that not just welcomes uh, engineers to come in and collaborate with you, but actually welcomes your customer right into your MES system, into your ERP system. Is that how you see it? Yeah, on, 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 on that's a challenge because when you are letting the customer see everything what you are doing, wow, uh, there's better a be lot here. of... Uh, right, exactly, okay. Uh, uh, and there is a lot of challenge behind it, and that's, I, I mean, the system are ready. It's more the mentality and the way mm. how we, we operate we are not totally ready yet. Yeah, Rainer, when you look at that, the I mean, I I love the idea that the future of um, European manufacturing includes this concept of the glass factory, and I've always I've always really liked um, Bruno's vision here that that the customer can see exactly what's going on. That's part of that fierce collaboration, isn't it? That's part of being designed in as the electronics partner um, to a brand. Um, is that something you feel 
safe doing? Is that something you feel you're you're driving your business towards being happy to expose? With with some customers and in some industries, I mean, I think we are already very very close to this. Um, also, because in some industries you have uh, you know very very strong legal uh, requirements, like in like in healthcare, uh, for instance. So this is uh, traditionally much much more. Uh, let me yeah. say transparent to the customer and other authorities. I mean, every process step and every number and uh, traceability, et cetera, et cetera, than 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 in other than in other industries. But I mean, I, I, I agree that I mean this is one step of um, one important step of this closer and closer uh, cooperation um, with with the customer. And it's, um, uh, it's, for me, it's, you know, also the other way around that I mean, you also as as an electronics partner have much, much um, deeper um, uh, insights into what what happens with your customer in terms of what what, what their customers are creating in demand, which goes into their systems so that you then can react. And I mean, especially Mm. we have some customers where we, I mean, directly can see also the demand which is coming from their customers so that we at a very early point can can react. And we are seeing this for instance, in uh, in uh, let me say in, uh, in 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 customer relationships where we both serve, let me let me take automotive again, where we both serve a tier one, which is then serving the OEM, and then on the other side we are serving the OEM and uh, yeah. direct with some other projects. I mean, what what we see is, I mean, if we are serving the tier one, we have a delay of information of uh, which regards to the demand, which is something, I mean, several, several weeks compared to we are directly working with the OEM. And I mean, uh, um, no, no wonder, um, and guess what happens now in the, in, in the crisis with all the material. Um, I mean, with, with those where you have, a, where you have the visibility for a much, much longer period of time, um, you are you, you can react much much better, and you can also discuss with your suppliers. So no yeah. no banks are standing still with the with the delay and and the lack of transparency where you have the tier tier one in between. Um, it's going to be uh, ex, ex, extremely difficult. So the transparency, I mean, has two sides. The, the one is yeah. the, the customer into your factory and what you are doing in process. But on the other hand side, I mean, especially um, in those times of uh, material crisis, you also need to have much, much better visibility of what happens on the customer side. I mean, for yeah. us, for, for, for instance, right now, I don't know whether it's in France, the same Bruno. I mean, for, for us, it's a catastrophe that I mean, from one day of the other, uh, we are getting the knowledge that one of our uh, big OEMs in the automotive industry, I mean, decided to close uh, the major factory for two to three weeks. I mean, we got this information last Wednesday and they closed now on Monday. Um, and for us, I mean, to react um, everything and to, uh, let me say, reshuffle everything in the production, et cetera. I mean, that's, that's, that's a catastrophe. And that's the, that's, yeah. that's exactly the, that, that, that's also something which, which uh, need to be changed in terms of transparency and close exchange of, in, of, of information. Yeah. yeah. And I think that transparency is digital. Uh, and I think, Bruno, it goes both ways, doesn't it? It absolutely you have to have, you know, you talk about your customers seeing into your business, you have to be able to see into their business to be able to um, predict demand. And that requires a lot of trust. Right. Uh, but but I just want, um, I don't know if our, our discussion leads on, uh, I don't want to let people think things that were interesting only in the car manufacturer. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we cannot serve only the car manufacturer. We need also to serve the tier one. Okay. And why I'm saying that is that we need to be your point of transparency. You are expecting it for the car manufacturer. Okay. But you need to find a way also uh, to communicate with all the other uh, guys from the supply chain or the other uh, your other customer. Okay. So so it's really a, a total system that we need to put in place. What I was meaning by transparency is that you need to be able to, and that's one of the difficulties, to talk with the car manufacturer, with the tier one, with the tier two, uh, and so on, 
on the same manner. You need to be honest with all of them. Uh, on, um, of course, by doing that, you are showing also uh, the defect of uh, one car manufacturer or one tier one compared to the other because they see everything. Okay, so this this point of transparency um, is touching also the fact that you are kind of a, of a communicating of the bad behavior of the others. Uh, yeah. This is new. Okay, you are not hiding anything. You see what I mean? Um, so so it, it, it's also a tendency, a trend yeah. um, that we need to cope on. That maybe one of explanation why why we are not that much advanced compared to the technical capability you have. Yeah. Uh, let, let's take an example. Now they are asking you to record um, part by part um, the, the oven temperature curve, uh, the optical inspection result, uh, the test result, part by part. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a huge amount of information that you are recording part by part on, on uh, I agree with Rainer, the, the, the first one to ask that was the, the uh, medical industry, okay? But now the automotive industry is asking us more and more and the others are following. So, so the need of information that they are requesting is important. The need of information we need from them is also important. But also, okay, we are we are. That means that we will be communicating between the competitors, okay, and they yeah. will see it other what will be the impact on our plant uh, of the other customers that we have. And you see what I mean? And this yeah. is tricky. Yeah, we have some challenges there to work out, and it's it's really interesting. You talk about the importance of the data, and that brings us on to maybe uh, Marco's other point about what's really important in the in the future of um, of this manufacturing in Europe, and that's the ecosystem and how that ecosystem works. Bruno, you talked about an ecosystem that, for example, in the automotive, has to include the car manufacturer you guys but also the tier one suppliers in the middle and those relationships have to be good and they have to be connected elsewhere um, and then the way they interact um, elsewhere as well but i think there's also an ecosystem question in the way how you guys work together how you work with some of these manufacturing as a service platforms um, and how that whole ecosystem can be leverage to benefit everybody, particularly the consumer, can have the best possible impact on, on the planet in terms of um, sustainability and can allow everybody to, to win enough to make it a, a valuable business to be in. Raina, do you think there's that level of cooperation? It, it always felt in the past, and I think you're right, the term EMS positions you badly, but it always felt in the past the OEM's job was to get as much of the EMS company's margin into their margin as possible. That need that relationship needs to change. Definitely, it it, it needs to change. But I mean, I'm uh, I mean, as I said at the very beginning uh, when I was talking about my glasses, I mean, we are not in a really margin-rich business. I mean, that's that, that that's a matter that, that's a matter of that that's a matter of fact. I mean, but. But when I when when I when I look into I mean the the typical margin profiles um, and I'm talking here about ABTA uh, margins here I mean then then you are seeing that I mean typical just PCBA uh, manufacturers uh, in the in, in the mass market so like uh, consumers uh, computers etc I mean they are doing the lowest digit uh, area percentage points of, of, of EBITDA. If you look into what we call high value electronics, so you are doing um, electronics manufacturing, maybe with a little bit of um, final assembly, a little bit of prototyping, a little bit of co-development, um, maybe in healthcare, maybe in machinery, whatever. I mean, you have a good chance to go to the, let me say, um, higher single digits. And, you know, some, if you are in a niche, uh, you are even going to something like nine, 10 percent. But I mean, those are uh, exceptions. But then, I mean, if you if you further move, move up and, um, you know, are really the electronics partner for some kind of meaningful things like uh, charging um, or, or other kind of things, um, you're even able to go to the double digit. 
um, area because I mean you are um, uh, you, you can do you can do uh, EBITDA margin you can do something like uh, twelve percent something like thirteen percent I mean that's that's doable as we see so yeah. th those are the the three and of course I'm simplifying here a lot but I mean those are the three major let me say profit zones we have in the industry and one of the reasons why we think that not only we but the entire uh, traditional EMS industries should have the ambition not for all of their business but for parts of their business to have then you know a nicer margin um kind of uh, uh, split and mix um you know go into those areas um, um as well in selected areas of course uh, not 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 boil the ocean doing everything so um so that's the that's that's the first part the second the second part is what we also i think what, what we also can improve in our industry i think is the cooperation between the electronics companies the ems companies if i look into other industries the degree and the level of cooperation between let me say the market participants is much 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 deeper and much much higher than you know i'm seeing it in our industry uh, today i mean of course i have contact at least in germany to uh, most of the uh, managers and the CEOs of the uh, most important companies, of course, but that's more, let me say, kind of a loose exchange of, of minds. And uh, I'm looking mm -hmm. for a, a head of sales. Do you have an idea? And I mean, that's more something. It's 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 very it's very loose. But it's not like it's not like that. We as a as a as, as an industry, um, you know, have a joint vision uh joint wish list which we also address to the government etc yeah. that we that we think about solutions where we can join forces now during the material crisis i mean at least in germany i'm not really seeing this right now but i'm yeah. seeing this in other industry in other industries and i think that's something which also not only in germany but on a european level should also happen in future and and don't, don't take me wrong i'm not a big uh, supporter of all those kind of that i mean smaller ems companies are um, you know building something like joint purchasing initiatives all of this have been failing in the past i don't believe in this but um i think there are there are there are topics there are areas where the european industry here in our industry can work much much closer uh, together in the uh, in, in the future and i'm not seeing this right now yeah i think that collaboration is huge bruno and i'm sure i'm sure you agree with that that it happens in in every part it's difficult to collaborate with people that were traditionally seen as um as seen as seen as competition but you know, I guess in France that some of your competitors in inverted commas work with the same OEMs that you do. And if there's better communications there, you'll both serve the OEM better. I mean, you're right, uh, but um, I have to admit that Heiner is right. There is not that much of communication between yeah. us and user in France on, um, on that. Uh, I'm just saying here, and actually, there is absolutely none between uh, at the European level. Yeah, which is strange. Huh? If we take a little bit of uh, of, of thinking, uh, we we should be able to communicate, to work together at least a little bit. And I have no example, at least in, in the people I know, of uh, collaboration between uh, European guys. Yeah. So I know that's maybe something we should discuss together. But uh, yeah, no, uh, I was. I was I was thinking there's a couple of actions for for me and Marco. One is one is to look at that process and how we, you know, maybe maybe get CEOs together so we are talking better. The the second one that Marco and I are going to go and think about is is what we renamed this industry. And I think it's um, you know it needs to have partner in the term. It need, you need to be seen as partners to the OEMs and brands, and you need to be able to provide pretty much everything they need to be between them and the consumer. And some of that is logistics. Some of it's even, you know, we're in the new direct to consumer market. It's, it's doing the whole process of predicting, um, predicting volumes and making sure production's in place to do that. Um, I think wrapping up, I think transparency is absolutely huge. 
And I think as we move to that glass factory, but that whole glass ecosystem, um, we'll put ourselves in in a in a wonderful position to to actually be able to capitalize on this um, on this huge opportunity that exists here in Europe. So I had a fabulous time talking to you guys. I'm conscious that we could talk for another two hours if we had the time. We'll wrap it up there and we'll get back together soon and talk about some of these um, some of these other issues. But in the meantime, Bruno Rayner. Marco lost his internet connection, which is another thing the government needs to fix. <laughs> um, the US government, the US government in this case. Yeah, well, I think in his case, he's in Italy at the moment with family. So it's, it's, it's but it's uh, everywhere you need a good connection, um, particularly for all that data to flow. But gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being so open and collaborative on, the, on this conversation. Uh, and I look forward to talking again next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.